Welcome to the BookNet Canada podcast. I'm your host, Ainsley Sparks, and this month we're talking about audiobooks and audio-first publishing. It's hard to have missed the buzz about audiobooks lately. If you follow the news that comes out of the publishing industry even a little, and you probably do since you're listening to this podcast, you'll have read and heard lots about it. Marcus Doyle, CEO of Penguin Random House, says audiobooks could be the next big thing in an interview with Live Mint. In the U.S., according to the Audio Publishers Association, total sales of audiobooks rose 18% in 2016 over 2015, while unit sales rose 34%. And in Canada, according to BookNet's consumer research, we're finding that audiobook purchases are holding steady at 2.6% of all format purchases, down only slightly from 2.3% in 2016. The big players in the tech industry seem to be getting the audiobook buzz memo too. On January 26th, Quartz published an article titled Silicon Valley Suddenly Seems to Care About Books Again, centered around Google's January 2018 announcement that they're going to make audiobooks available in Google Play, and Apple's forthcoming redesign of its iBooks app, now simply called Books. You may have also heard about Kobo's partnership with Walmart in the States, where not only will Walmart sell Kobo's e-readers, but also e-books and audiobooks on their website. I spoke with Nasteran Bishaban, VP of Global Technology Delivery at Kobo, about their recently launched audiobook program, their first audiobook original, and their future plans for audio content. Um, so can you introduce yourself and your role? Yes. I am Nasteran Bishaban, uh, VP of Global Technology Delivery for Rakuten Kobo. Um, uh, my team and I are responsible for delivering all the softwares related for this ecosystem, uh, from the software that goes to directly to our uh, um, e-reader and uh, to the uh, apps that we have for iOS and Android, for our desktop, desktop app, um, any integration software behind the scene, and database and rest. So we are the global technology delivery. So Kobo just recently launched an audiobook program uh, in September 2017. Can you tell us a bit about how it's been going and, and what the reaction to the subscription model has been? Yes. We are receiving uh, a lot of great responses uh, from our audience. Uh, it seems that the price point is working for us. Uh, the conversion rate is uh, very high, uh, uh, more than what we expected. And um, uh, all in all, uh, still it is early in the game. Uh, we are very carefully listening to our audience feedback. We have direct uh, feedback channel that comes to the development team uh, more than uh, any other uh, as well. So we are listening to our customers and uh, lots of good things are about to come on this category. Can you uh, tell us about some of those good things? <laughs> it is a little bit uh, premature to give the list of what are the good things, but uh, I can tell you that they are coming directly from what our customers are asking for them. Well, I'll just have to keep an eye out then, I guess. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so Kobo just released their first audiobook original, Zoe Whittle's The Best Kind of People. It's exclusive to Kobo, but do you have plans to distribute it to other retailers? 
Um, well, uh, overall exclusive content is a different niche, and we are very interested uh, on this category. But yes, uh, we are actually, we are planning to uh, uh, expand this, and we uh, believe that it is actually in the interest of the authors that audiobooks are available in as many channels uh, as possible. Uh, that's exactly why we actually encourage our agents and publishers to create their own audiobooks or to collaborate with Kobo instead of putting the long, uh, you know, long-term uh, viability of the uh, small Canadian market at risk by uh, giving the exclusive rights to one party. Uh, that position uh, logically also means that um, Kobo will also consider distribution to other channels. Has it happened with the best kind of people, or is it um, something that's still to come? It is to come. Um, did you have your own recording studio at Kobo? How does how does the production work? Well, uh, we work very closely with agents and publishers to grow the Canadian audiobook catalog. Uh, uh, we collaborate with the publishers when they are the right holders or producer, uh, you know, uh, at the same page. Or we actually produce our own audio files uh, as Kobo Originals. Uh, for the actual production, we are partnering with a very wide number of the producers with various levels of involvement in the actual recording and editing. And, and you are planning on focusing on, on Canadian content mostly through your audiobook originals? We all a global country, and at the same time, the local content uh, are the front and center of uh, our uh, um, um, plan. So we are successful by local content. At the same time, we are global. So globally, we are focusing on a local content. I see. So you're doing local content throughout the world. Exactly. Are there plans to scale up your audiobook production, and what, what will that look like? Well, absolutely. Um, uh, we are uh, planning to have uh, uh, more focus uh, on this category and uh, actually for the uh, audio first content, uh, we just announced the Kobo Originals program yesterday uh, for both ebooks and audio. Uh, with the growing importance of audio, we will also produce audio first titles. So by audio first, do you mean books that are first produced in audio format and they may Correct. or may not have a print edition to come? Correct, yes. Hmm. Well, we are, we are evaluating all the options, but this is certainly one area of focus. Do you think there are benefits to audio first content as opposed to the traditional model of, of recording an audio book from the print version of the book? Like, Do you oh. think, for example, it will reach a different type of listener? Traditionally, um, audio has been an afterthought of the book uh, in general. But uh, with the growing popularity of this uh, genre, basically not genre, the media, the, the vehicle, uh, we will um, for sure see the emergence of an audio-only audience. So uh, we being uh, directly responding to the need of our audience, we don't see uh, uh, why not to go through that path as well. So that makes it uh, also interesting to see if there are better ways to reach that customer. So um, um, certainly we do have the uh, audio first uh, in the review uh, with a serious focus on. So uh, what do you think are the factors that have contributed to the rise in audiobook listening? 
Yeah, well, um, um, in general, really it is uh, due to rise of mobile technology, easier access and easier use, cheaper, you know, cost of, you know, data. But in general, um, Kobo's motto has always been to uh, increase the reading time for the customer. And uh, uh, we have started with uh, uh, read in the sun with having the first uh, kind of uh, first of our devices not to have any glare. Then have reading uh, at the night with having a backlight uh, available. Then making that backlight available uh, uh, um, custom with a, a more uh, reduced blue light and have the different uh, kind of um, uh, yellow light. The word uh, is not coming to me. Um, so our goal is increase the uh, reading time. Now with the expansion to the audiobook, we are actually uh, increasing the uh, time of reading to the time that you cannot actually look. So that's basically what is uh, uh, our front and center motto to make sure that we are increasing the reading. And the uh, audiobook is certainly uh, a vehicle that gives us that opportunity. I mean, it's a goal I'm sure that a lot of people in Canadian publishing would like to share. Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, think about how uh, commuting time and everything else has increased for the people. Uh, um, and there are so many easy read, easy listen to also that uh, you normally don't get to uh, due to the prioritization of your reading list and everything else that uh, having the commute time, having it uh, available when you cannot look at the book is absolutely an increased kind of um, uh, capability. I personally have started listening to one audiobook per week, uh, expanding to the genre and categories that originally I wouldn't uh, have time uh, to spend. I have a longer commute. I uh, spend it on uh, listening to audiobook, and it is paying off. Um, so what do you know about the demographics of the, co uh, the audiobook listener? Are they significantly different from the ebook reader? Well, uh, speaking, actually, we are looking at the same group uh, of the uh, ebook reader, but uh, maybe a little bit more towards added male and a slightly younger. So we are seeing the same kind of category, more male and uh, uh, somehow younger uh, audience added to the list. Do you think that will influence the types of audiobooks you produce? Um, certainly. Our audience will be driving uh, what we do. Does um, does accessibility factor into your audiobook production heavily? Um, absolutely, yes. Uh, we uh, have um, a very elaborate uh, uh, lab that uh, we look into all the uh, new features, all the requirements, recommendations that are coming directly from our customer's channel and uh, um, practice them in our uh, lab and uh, we'll look to enhance the accessibility more and more. Great. Well, thank you for taking the time to speak with me. My pleasure. While the big international players are focused on getting into the market and scaling up their production, a homegrown indie publisher is experimenting with audio in a thoughtful and artistic way. BookThug got into the record-making business in August 2017 with their record label, Chaos and Star. 
I spoke to Hazel Miller about this new project. Uh, so can you uh, introduce yourself? Certainly. Um, so my name is Hazel Miller, and I'm the co-publisher at BookThug. Um, BookThug is a an independent literary press. We're based here in Toronto, and yeah, we're currently celebrating our 14th anniversary. So, oh wow, that's yeah, <laughs> that's great. Um, so you're going to be at Tech Forum uh, speaking on a panel about audio first publishing, mm-hmm. and uh, as part of that, we've asked you to talk about Chaos and Star or a record label. Yes. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about that. Certainly. Um, so Chaos and Star is our new literary record imprint, I guess. Uh, it was born out of a conversation that we had with our friend, um, musician Andrew Whiteman. And um, for those of you who might, I guess, not know Andrew is, uh, is a musician involved in various acts, including Broken Social Scene and Aurora and more. And for a while, Andrew has been working on a, a side project, really, what she calls Sonic Poetry. And um, with that, he has worked uh, together with other musicians and writers um, in order to sort of you know, come together and collaborate and, and, and perhaps reinvent the two mediums that they're, that they're working in. We've been longtime fans of his sonic poetry project. Um, we're very familiar with it. And so we were really happy to have this conversation with Andrew about how we at BookFed might be able to become involved in it. <laughs> and, um, so, you know, we started to explore the various questions that he'd already been thinking about, uh, such as, you know, can contemporary writing be pop? Can contemporary music be literary? And uh, because we were uh, so interested really in these questions, we decided to um, venture forth and <laughs> create a new imprint, really, that would allow um, uh, this project to sort of grow and for us particularly to involve our, our authors at BookThug um, in, in this project by then pairing them with independent musicians and, uh, cr- to create a, a new medium, really. So that's how, how, that's how it was born. And, uh, and we've, we've so far, produced, um, three limited edition seven inch vinyl records because that was the end goal, um, was to actually produce records. Um, and we did so by, by selecting three authors from our, from our list and carefully thinking through who we would want to pair them with, um, as musicians. And then we sent them off to work together and collaborate and, and create, um, two singles so that we would be able to therefore produce a, a seven inch side A and side B record. That's really cool. How do you um, how do you choose the author and musician pairings? What what yeah. kind of decision making do you do in that process? Yeah, a lot of it is honestly um, gut feeling. <laughs> in the case of the authors that we first chose to work with, we we knew we wanted to to to, to choose three. So the pilot project for Chaos and Star was going to always be three and um 
we consulted first with Andrew as well. And we said, because he, we knew Andrew would always be a, a part of the project, of course. And, you know, t- together we all really went through our list and we were looking at authors that were either involved in our current season or who still had quite relatively new or recent titles with us so that, you know, we had a, a, a window in, in that regards of, of who we were looking at. And the three names that we selected, three authors that we had really jumped out at us from the beginning. It was, again, just a, a, the, the instinct that these were the right authors to to choose. And we, we chose Jacob Wren, um, who's we've published several times over at this point. Um, and it was Andrew, actually, who really uh, expressed a desire to work with Jacob. And we also chose uh, two poets from our list, Jennifer Lovegrove and Liz Worth, because, again, we just thought that there, there was so much musicality in their text already that it, it, it just felt like um, really good choices for um, exploring the <laughs> musical side of their book. So. And then as far as the musicians were concerned, again, it was um, a lot of gut instinct of just who we thought would be a good pairing. We were so intimately familiar with the texts, of course, um, and given that Andrew had expressed a sincere desire to work with Jacob, then we knew that that pairing was going to work, and um, Jacob also was very excited to work with Andrews. Um, so that, that was, um, that was an easy <laughs> fix to, or, or, or pairing to make, I guess. Um, with Jennifer Lovegrove, uh, her book is, is highly, um, it's very dreamlike and, and almost surreal at times. And, and we immediately thought of, uh, John K. Sampson and Christine Fellows, who we've known for a long time. And, and really admire the work that they produce. And we thought they'd be a perfect fit because a lot of what they've produced in the past seems to explore similar themes, really, to what we knew was in Jen's work. And uh, and they were really excited to come on board and just happened to be available because um, they're very, very busy people, but they were available and jumped at the opportunity. Um, so that worked. And then Regards to Liz Worth, we were a little bit more stumped at first of who we were going to pair her with. Um, and we reached out to Jason Collette, who's a friend of ours as well. And um, we know Jason from his work with the Basement Review and and whatnot. And, and we asked him if he could recommend, you know, a Canadian independent musician or band that might uh, be a good fit for Liz for Liz Worth, her book is about Andy Warhol. <laughs> and um, he immediately suggested two of the members of a Toronto band called Zeus, um, who had recently been doing some some scores for film work. And so we reached out to them and they, again, jumped at the to do this project, just having come fresh off of doing the film scoring that they'd been working on. Um, and it was actually like a magical fit in that case when they first um sent back to us the the work that they produced for Liz's text it was an immediate like ah yes that was perfect so that's cool I I mean it helps to have very cool friends yeah yeah (laughs) are all the contributors um Canadian yes 
Yeah. Yes. Is that a conscious decision to have all your contributors be Canadian? It is. Yes, it is. It was um it was something that when again when we started to really have this conversation with Andrew, um his sonic poetry project that he'd been working on for so many years, he's worked very often with American authors, uh American poets such as Alice Notley and and Waldman and and others. And at first that was something he had really hoped we would be able to bring to the project, uh, like an extension of working with, you know, more Americans or or other international authors. But for us, it was very important, like as a Canadian independent literary press, it was for us to, to, to collaborate with him on this, on extending this project. It was very important that we, we work with Canadian musicians. Um, and so you mentioned that the original idea was to have um, vinyl, but you also yes. offer digital releases of all these as well. Yes. Was that yes. uh, planned from the beginning or was that a phase two? No, it was always planned because with regards to the vinyl, it was also very intentional that they were going to be limited editions. We wouldn't be producing, you know, a never-ending supply of vinyl. <laughs> so I think we decided from the get-go we would, we would produce 500 copies of this limited edition vinyl and then you know once they're gone they're gone but it will always be available a digital download and so yes that was always part of the plan that both both formats would be available so do you have more releases planned in the future um we do plan to do more we don't actually have any lined up at the moment and that's mostly because we've been so very busy in the background working on our rebranch is a whole other conversation we could have. Um, but for, so for now, uh, as we have had to do with other projects, we've had to sort of hit the pause button on, um, you know, producing more, but we absolutely intend to, to produce more. And the goal would be to, to do one or two a year once we get um, back on track with it. And, and will they always be um, adaptations of books that you've printed, or would, uh, have you any um, thoughts on doing audio first? Type yeah, of I mean, it's a very good question, and and as I would say to almost anything, I guess you know, never say never. I would certainly say that you know we would we could possibly move towards doing audio first in the future. For now, though, um, our immediate goal is to continue um, the project as it is, in that it's, you know, an extension of the book project. Um, so, yes, like, for for the immediate future, at any rate, we'll, we'll continue with this. But, you know, sort of say never, say never. And, and if the right opportunity came along for an audio first, um, project, then certainly we would explore that. So do you think, I mean, there's been a lot of talk lately about the rise in, in the audiobook. More and more people are listening to them. Do you think that that has had an impact on your Chaos and Star project? Or do you think uh, they're completely yeah. separate? I mean, I, I, I see them as separate to, to an extent, certainly, but I also do see them as being very complementary. So um, I I would absolutely um, agree that for for readers and listeners alike who have you know turned to audiobooks as a as a a platform that they're that they're 
experimenting with and listening to, then, then, then I would, that I would hope too that yes, our Chaos and Star project would therefore be um, something they'd want to also listen to. Certainly. And do you think you've answered the questions about is, is literature pop and, and is, is music literary? <laughs> yes, I, I mean, I certainly hope so. I mean, we definitely want to continue exploring those questions, um, hence the, you know, desire to continue with the, uh, with, with more pairings for the imprint moving forward. But, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, so long answer short, yes, they're questions that we hope we've answered, um, but we want to continue exploring in more depth, certainly. Do you think you'll ever, um, try the other way around? Start with a piece of music and then have a, an author collaborate and on that? Possibly. Again, like I, like I said before, I guess I, I would never say never. It was, it was quite interesting when we first launched the, the imprint. We, um, over the first couple of days, we were inundated with musicians posing that very question to us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, again, certainly that could be something that we, we might explore in the future. Um, for now, because again, we've come at this as, you know, it's a sort of very core of it, I guess. It's a, an extension of, of a book project. Um, that's the, the road will continue to go down for now while we um, we continue to overcome that steep learning curve of producing records. But um, yeah, certainly in the future, that could be another possibility, another way to help evolve the project. So well, that's very cool. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for talking with me. You're very and, welcome. Uh, Both Nostrum Bishabon and Hazel Miller will be speaking at Tech Forum 2018 on a panel called The Future Will Not Be Silent audio first publishing. So get your tickets to this conference that focuses on digital developments in the book publishing industry to hear more about this subject and much more. Thanks to Nasteron and Hazel for joining me on this month's podcast. If you'd like to check out more stats on the Canadian audiobook listener or learn more about what we do, you can visit us at booknetcanada.ca. We gratefully acknowledge the financial support of the Government of Canada through the Canada Book Fund for this project. And of course, thanks to you for listening.